right. Hey, what book are we studying right now? I heard like six of you. What book are we studying right now? Philippians. Okay. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need it tonight. So we've got some in the backs of the chairs. You can grab one of those if you didn't bring one. There's a couple on the table back there if you need one. Philippians. It's back there in the New Testament. Um, In case it helps, it's page 980 in my Bible. I'm not sure about yours, but... That probably doesn't help you very much. So, last week we started looking at this book, and last week we looked at the author. So, I'm going to ask you guys some of the questions that I ask you every time we study a book. Who wrote this book? Paul. Who helped him? Timothy. Timothy, that's right. Paul, with a little bit of help from Timothy. Now, do you remember when it was written? Around 61 to 62 AD. That means a really, really long time ago. Okay? What's that? Jail. (laughs) My next question was going to be, who did he write it to? (laughs) Yeah, he he wrote it to to a church, to believers in the city of Philippi. Okay, and if you remember, that church was made up, there were some people that were Jewish, that means they were, they were of the Jewish nationality, which means they were very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, but they had also come to put their faith and trust in Jesus. But there were the predominant number of people that were in that church were not Jewish people, they were what were called Gentiles, people who were not Jewish nationality by birth, which means pretty much everybody in this room, we would be considered a Gentile during these times. And these are people who didn't grow up knowing the Old Testament, knowing about God, and yet they've heard the gospel of Jesus and they've put their faith and trust in him. Now, Bailey, to ask the question you answered, where do we believe it was written? Jail. Remember, I've told you, if somebody says, hey, Paul wrote this book, where was he when he wrote it? Nine times out of ten, if you say jail, you're probably going to be right because he did a lot of writing when he was in jail. Um, In fact, last week I talked about two other books that he probably wrote around this time. Does anybody remember what they are? Colossians is one of them. What's that? Ephesians and Colossians. You, you want to know something really cool? If you, if you flip back a couple pages in your Bible, the book right before Philippians is Ephesians. If you flip a couple pages the other way in your Bible, the book after Philippians is Colossians. So he wrote all three of these books around the same time. So it's kind of neat to see how he addresses these different churches and the way that he talks to them. Do you remember why he wrote this book? I heard it. To encourage the church. To encourage and to warn. Absolutely. Remember, hey guys, the early church was scattered. Believers, they, they were facing persecution, so they, they scattered out of Jerusalem. They went in different directions, and, and that's the cool thing. You've got, you've got the Roman Empire that is trying to wipe out Christianity, and in doing so, actually causes Christians to scatter throughout that part of the world, which is how we start to see other churches get started. So their effort to make this thing go away only actually made it grow. 
So you've got believers in this church, they're, they're, they're scared because they've got people coming after them, people seeking to persecute them. And what Paul is doing is he is trying to encourage them. And the main thing, the, there's one word, the main theme that we say, we see over and over in this book. Do you remember what that word is? Three little letters. Joy. J-O-Y. Joy. 16 times he talks about that word in some form in four short chapters. What Paul is trying to help these believers see is that no matter what they're facing in their lives, that if they have Christ at the center of everything in their life, they can have joy. And remember, we talked about the fact that there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is something that's temporary. Happiness is something that can go away very quickly when our circumstances change or our feelings change. But the joy that we can have through having a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's something that nobody can take away. Because that's something that doesn't come from inside of us. It's not dependent on our circumstances or our feelings. It's dependent upon who Christ is, and Christ doesn't change. So he's telling these believers, this is what you need to focus on. Put Christ at the center of everything, and you can have joy in everything. That's pretty cool. Now, that's just the first two verses. So tonight, we're going to walk through verses 3 through 11. So I'm going to ask you guys to do what I ask you to do every week. In the honor of reading God's word, if you would stand with me, I will read it. If you will follow along, listen to what it says. Verse 3, Philippians chapter 1. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you all are, partake, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be sure and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. God, I pray right now. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, that we can take a few moments in the middle of our busy days and just focus on what your word has to say to, to the people that it was written to at that time, God, and, and what we can learn from it so that we can live lives, God, that will honor you so that we can be encouraged by who you are and know that, that, that you call us to put Christ at the center of everything in our lives and experience that same joy. And God, I pray that tonight as we walk out of here, God, we will be changed, we will be different because we've been in your presence in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, we'll do like we normally do. We're going to walk through some of these verses and see what Paul was saying to these people and what that means for us. Because everything in Scripture, the Bible tells us every word in here is inspired by God. And every bit of it is useful. Now, sometimes when we read it, we think, that has nothing to do with my life. And you might be right at that point in your life. But that doesn't mean God's word doesn't have something to speak to your life. And as we walk through this in Philippians tonight, there's a couple different things that we see here that I think are very, very important for every single one of us. It says right here in the very beginning, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. 
always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So in those first two verses, Paul has introduced himself, he's introduced Timothy, and now he's jumping into addressing this group of believers. And he does something that that if we're honest, we all like. The very first thing he does right here is he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. What Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, when I think about you guys, I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful that you are a church of believers. And, and, and the reason I say we all like this is because we like it when people thank us for doing things, don't we? I mean, I, I do. I don't know about the rest of you. But, but we, we've all got something where you're like, maybe, yes, no. But that's exactly what Paul's doing right here. And, and you know what I mean. When somebody notices you, when you've done something nice for them and they say, thank you, and it's just the fact that they've acknowledged that you're there. They've acknowledged that you put forth some effort. Now, I'm not talking about where you try to go out and do the laundry and wash the car because you're hoping mom and dad will notice and they'll thank you by buying you a new cell phone or a new game system, like with ulterior motives or ulter- whatever that word is. You don't, you don't do something for someone with the intention of them giving you something back. But when we do it just to do it because we love that person, because we care about that person, when they notice it, that's a good feeling. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. What Paul is doing is he's showing genuine appreciation for this church. He says he's, he's thankful for their partnership in his ministry. For the fact that they have worked with him. Paul's goal is to spread the gospel of Jesus. Paul's goal is to make disciples. And scripture tells us they have worked with him to do that. And as we'll find later in this book, that includes the fact that they sent money to Paul so that he could continue to do the mission God had called him to do. And remember, we talked about this last week. This was not a wealthy church. This was not a group of people that had a lot of money, but they've partnered with him. They've given him what he needs. And he's saying, guys, thank you. Thank you for sticking with me. In fact, it's, it's their continued concern for Paul's well-being. There's, there's a connection here. There's a partnership that goes just beyond those physical needs. There's an affection there that Paul has for these people. It's not just, hey, thanks for sending the money. Thanks for sticking by me. And now I'm off to do the next thing. Scripture tells us here that he's got an affection for them. And it's that affection that continues even when they're apart. That's what he means by when he says at the end of that verse there, he says, from the first day until now. Paul is making sure that they understand that they are very, very important to the calling that God has placed on his life. Because they've stood with him and they've cared for him. And here's why that matters for you and I tonight. Because if you're here tonight and you say you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, God has put a command and a calling on your life. And that's to tell people about Jesus, that's to help make disciples, and that's to pursue Him in everything that you do. And as we talked about last week, you don't do that alone. Because God doesn't call you to a solo walk with Him. He calls you to a body that is walking with Him. Which means there are other people, whether you realize it or not, that are partnered with you in ministry. People that are praying for you. People that are lifting you up. People that are playing a crucial role in supporting you to be the young man and the young woman that God has called you to be. 
And, and what Paul is doing here is he's saying, believers, church, thank you for partnering with me in ministry. And we've got to remember that we're not walking this road by ourselves. There are other people who are here to help us walk this road. We've got partners in ministry the same way Paul did. So we've got to remember we're not alone. Even when it feels like we're alone, we are never alone. Because I can promise every single one of you in this room, there are people praying for you on a daily basis. People you don't even know. Some of you have heard me tell this before. When I first moved here five years ago, we used to meet down in the refuge on Wednesday nights. And one of the first Wednesday nights, I was you know, walking around that afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, setting up the chairs, making sure the sound system, the slides, everything was ready. And I walk into the refuge, all the lights are off, and I see this lady walking through the refuge. And I don't know her, and I'm thinking, what is this woman doing? And I introduced myself, and it turned out to be Miss Cynthia Gwynn, Miss Marlin's aunt, in case you don't know. And Miss Cynthia told me that she was just walking by each chair, and as she touched each chair, she was praying for the person that was going to sit there that night. She didn't know who was going to sit there. She didn't know three quarters of the teenagers that were going to be in that room that night. And yet she was there praying that God was going to speak to them that night. Guys, there's people praying for you. There's people who are partnered with you. You don't even know they exist. And yet they are lifting you up in your walk with Christ. That's something you have to remember. Because when you feel alone, when you feel by yourself, when you feel like nobody else is following God when you're trying to follow God and there's nobody you can talk to and nobody you can turn to, there are people who are right there beside you and you don't even know who they are. And Paul is saying, I'm thankful for those people. The only difference is he's actually telling them. He's letting them know. And then he goes on in verse 6 and he encourages them because let's be honest, who of us can't use a little encouragement? Look at what he writes in verse 6. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What he's telling these believers is he's saying, you guys need to trust God. Now remember, we already talked about this. This is when the early church persecution was happening. These are people who were hiding. Some of them were meeting in secrets. These were underground churches, and they're being persecuted in fear for their lives. And yet in the midst of that, Paul is saying, trust God. It's, it's a way to remind them that, that God's faithful. If God is the one who has worked in your life, then God is the one who is going to see you through to the very end of your life. God is the one that's going to take care of you. He's saying you need to trust in what God has done. You need to trust in what God is doing. And you need to trust in what God's going to do. He's trying to encourage them and help them understand. And he uses that phrase there. He says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That good work that he's talking about, the greatest work that Christ does in any of our lives is bringing us to the point of salvation. Is that moment in time where we understand that, that we are sinners and we can't fix ourselves. What Jesus did is he died on the cross because scripture tells us there's a penalty for our sin. And, and let's be honest, guys. We try to be good. We try to do the right things. And about five minutes later, we mess something else up. 
That's, that's sin. It's our nature. And Scripture tells us that not just a physical death, but eternal separation from God is the result of that sin. And since we can't fix that, Jesus stepped out of eternity and into humanity, and he laid down his life on a cross to pay for my sin and for your sin. <laughs> and then three days later, he took his life back up. And in that moment, he defeated death, he defeated sin, and he gives us the opportunity to put our faith and trust in Jesus. That, that is the greatest work that Christ has done. And Paul is reminding them, he's telling all of them, your salvation, your eternity, if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, it's not dependent upon you. Your job is to follow God and to honor God, but Scripture says that God holds you from that moment forward, and there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That, that's what Scripture says, Romans 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your salvation through Christ Jesus is the good work that Paul is talking about. And it's not something that you started, and it's not something that you finish. Because God is the one that holds you securely in that. And that's what Paul's talking about when he says, he who began a good work in you will see it through to the end. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that. Because if my salvation is dependent upon me and the way that I think and the way that I act and the way that I talk, guess what? I'm going to mess it up every single time. God holds you for eternity when you put your faith and trust in Him. God is the one that sanctifies you, which means you strive to be holy as God is holy. God is the one that does that work in drawing us to Himself and making us into His image and who He's made us to be. And we have to trust in that, that if God is the one that started that, God is the one that is going to hold that, God is the one that is going to finish that, and we just have to be faithful to Him in the process. That's what Paul's talking about there. And then he goes on in verse 7. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of, or with grace, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul is, again, showing he's got a strong affection for this church and for these believers. He feels so strongly because they've shown themselves to be reliable. I mean, remember, where is Paul writing this from? Jail. Prison. Okay, is it a good thing to be in prison typically? No, no, it's not. I mean, most of us don't want to spend time in prison knowing that, that your reputation would be demolished if you went to prison. It was no different back then. You've got Paul, he's, he's in jail, and, and imprisonment right here, it, just like now, it's a source of shame. And yet, during his imprisonment, the Philippian church 
stood by him. They stood by him socially when he was a known convict. See, they've partnered with him. They stood by him with the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, guys, I love you for that because you've been there for me. I've been able to count on you. Even when things aren't going the way that I want them to go, I know you all are there. You all are supporting me in the midst of all of this. And that goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. You've got people that are standing by you like that every day. And you may not even know who they are, but there are people who are partnered with you in your walk with Christ, lifting you up, who want you to be the man and the woman that God has made you to be. And Paul says he has a love for those people, not just, oh, I feel good about them. No, it's, it's a deep affection that he has for them. He longs to be with them. That's what he says in verse 8 of Philippians 1. He says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all for yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul has a desire, a longing to be with them because they meant that much to him. And remember, this is 11, 12 years after he planted this church and he's been gone. And yet these are the people he's still writing to. Every one of us in this room knows what that feels like. You may not remember that feeling, that longing, that affection, but having someone in your life that when they're gone for even a short time, all you want is just to be with them again. Now, you probably don't remember this, but I guarantee you almost every one of you in this room at some point, you were dropped off in the nursery at church or at daycare with somebody or somebody else's house that was babysitting you. And as soon as your parents were out of sight, man, you just broke down and the tears started flowing and you were like, and you wanted your mom and you wanted your dad because all you wanted, yeah, that was kind of creepy, wasn't it? All you wanted was to be with them again. Your affection for them, the love that you felt for them, all you wanted was to be in their presence. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about right here. He wants to be with them. He longs to, to stand with them, to share with them. And pay attention to a very important phrase here. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all. I don't want to see anybody's hands. But I'm willing to bet, put your hand down. There's always one or two or three. But I'm willing to bet in this church and in this room maybe, there's people you don't get along with. Put your hand down. Hey, do you think there were people that got on Paul's nerves in that church? I promise you there were. He doesn't say that, but Paul was a human just like we are, and people get on our nerves. And yet, let me read those words again. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Guys, that's important. Because in our flesh side, in our human side, there are people that are going to get on our last nerve. People that, man, you just want to walk up to and you just want to throat punch them one time and be done. And yet, when we look at people the way that Christ looks at people, there's supposed to be a different affection there. 
There's supposed to be a love that goes beyond that annoyance. There's supposed to be a love that goes beyond that personality that grates on our nerves. And we're supposed to see them the way that Christ sees them, which puts an affection in our hearts for them, even though we may not like them very much. Paul says right here that he longs to see everyone in that body, even the ones that may have gotten on his nerves. Guys, God has put this group together. God has put this church family together. And whether we like it or not, God has a plan that sometimes we don't understand. But if God has put us together, then there's a reason for it. And that means we've got to be willing to get past our own issues that we have with other people and try to see them the way that Christ sees them. And that's with love and affection, even when we don't care for them very much. That's what Paul is demonstrating for us right here. And he has that deep affection for them, so much so that it moves him to pray for them. That's what he does here in verse 9. He says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Paul starts off, he's, he's praying for their love, but it's, it's not the way we think about love or the way we see it played out in movies or books. It's not this sentimental, romantic feeling. That's not what Paul's talking about. Because if, if you think about this idea of love, this, we, we see it portrayed as this powerful emotion that you just can't deny. I just love them and I have to follow my heart. Y'all are snickering, but I know some of y'all in this room have said that or thought that. I know it. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about that emotion. Because yes, that can be a very powerful emotion. And it's a good emotion because God put it in us. But emotions change. Feelings change. That person that you thought you were madly in love with a week ago... Now you can't stand to be around today. All of those things can change. So it's got to go beyond that deep feeling or that emotion. What he says here is he prays that their love will abound with knowledge and discernment. Because love without knowledge and discernment, that's just an emotion. And those all change. Knowledge and discernment without love, that's just useless facts. That's all it is. So what he's saying here is that these believers, he's saying, I pray for your love with knowledge and discernment so that they can work together and do what he talks about there in verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He says you need love paired with knowledge and discernment, wisdom, so that you can do what God's called you to do. So that you can focus on the things that matter to God and not be distracted by everything else in the world. And I said this before, I love it when Scripture backs up Scripture. Paul talks about this again in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What Paul is saying through these passages is this love with knowledge and discernment, this focus on God and God's word keeps us from being distracted by other things in our lives 
that aren't really that important. Because I, I can tell you right now, I've, I've been working with teenagers long enough, I've seen a lot of teenagers fall in love with that guy or that girl. And their sole focus becomes that person and that relationship. And it's not very long before they're not coming to church anymore. And, and they're not following God and reading their Bible and they're not growing in their walk with Christ. Because all of their focus is on love. And there's no knowledge and discernment acting there. And I've seen the other extreme where people get the knowledge and the knowledge and the knowledge and they can tell you verse by verse everything that the Bible says, but there is no love in their heart for other people. And that's a dangerous place to be. What Paul is saying is you need love with knowledge and discernment so that you can take the things that you know about God and it will change you so that you can love people the way that God calls us to love people. Even the people you don't like. Even the people that live different lifestyles that you look at and say, oh my goodness, that is so unbiblical. We don't condone what they do, but we can still see them the way Jesus sees them in need of a Savior to be rescued from their sin. That's what Paul is talking about here. And he's saying that is his prayer for this church. And the result of that, he says it's being pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Not because of who you are, but because of who He is. Not because of what you've done for Christ, but because of what Christ has done in you. That is what He's saying. His prayer is for what this big word is called sanctification. So that will be the end result in their life. Sanctification means becoming more and more like Christ. We will never be Christ. We will never be perfect like He is. We will never be fully holy like He is. Yet we strive to pursue Him every single day. That is the result of what Paul is talking about. And the end result of that is so that God will be glorified. Did you know that is the entire point of your life? If you have put your faith and trust in Christ, the entire point of your life is to glorify God in everything that you do. In the way that you talk, in the way that you think, in the way that you act, in the things that you watch, in the things that you listen to. All of those things, all of your relationships, all of your positions, all of your roles, all of those things. The goal of your life is to glorify God. And Paul is saying he is thankful for these believers because they have partnered with him. They have stuck beside him. He loves them. He prays for them. And he does this because of who they are in Christ. But here's why this matters. Because he doesn't keep it to himself. We all have people in our lives that we know are partnering with us in our walk with Christ. And we're probably thankful for them. And we may even pray for them and they don't know it. And that's a good thing. But sometimes we need to tell them. We need to thank them. We need to pray for them in their presence so that they know somebody is lifting them up. And what I want to ask you tonight is, do you have somebody like that in your life? Somebody that, that, that has come alongside you at some point in your walk with Christ. Somebody that has prayed for you. Somebody that has encouraged you. Somebody that you are thankful for. 
that has just been there. And if you've got somebody like that in your life, my encouragement to you, my challenge for you tonight, before you leave this room, is to take that orange card and write them a little note on the back. And the next time you see them, give it to them. Thank them and pray for them. In fact, if there's somebody in this room tonight that has been that person in your life, when we stand up and we start to sing, I want to challenge you, don't stand up and start singing. Stand up and go to that person. It may be another student. It may be an adult. But if there's somebody that's been in your life that has walked beside you, somebody that has lifted you up, somebody that has been your partner, go encourage them. Go thank them. Go pray for them. Because guys, we do not do this walk alone. We need people around us. And God has put an entire room around every single one of you. Let other people in your life know how much you appreciate them walking with you in your walk with Christ. And encourage them tonight. And pray for them tonight. Do that as soon as the music starts. Let's pray. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. God, we thank you for people that come alongside of us. As, as Paul's written here tonight, encouraging and thanking the church at Philippi for being there and being a partner with him. God, I thank you for the people in my life that do that. That are willing to to even sometimes call me out on the things when I'm not honoring you with my words and my choices because they care that much. God, I pray that every single person in this room will have at least one person like that in their life and I have to believe, God, with a room this big and a group this big that every single person does. And, and if you're here tonight and you're thinking and you think, I don't have anybody doing that for me. Come see me when the music starts. Come see one of the other adults in this room. Turn to one of your friends and ask them to pray for you. Because that's what we're called to do. To walk together. To stand together. To lift each other up. God, we thank you for your son. Thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.